morning. Thank you, choir. Thank you, orchestra. Is the young lady okay who fell? Everybody okay? Good. Good. We were anxiously waiting for a report on her. Thank you. I have to thank Charlene and Alan Reed, who on very, very short notice came and decorated our flower beds with beautiful flowers. Thank them for that. It was Easter and we still had pine cones and holly in there, so we had to fix that. If you have your Bible, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, 27 through 38. The music was great. I love in Christ alone. Christ is risen. It's customary when you say that. We've never done that in this church, but when you say Christ is risen, the children say what? He is risen indeed. Let's try that. Christ is risen. Yes, right? Amen. Isn't that what we're here for? It is a myth that Easter Sunday is the only Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. Christians celebrate the resurrection every day, but we especially celebrate it on Sunday. It would have been natural for that small Jewish sect that became followers of Jesus Christ to simply follow the Sabbath day. Sundown on Friday, sundown on Saturday. It would have been natural. Certainly they had planned their life around the Sabbath, these young Jewish church. But the church agreed that Sunday was going to be the day that they worshiped God because it was the day that they all confessed by their very presence that Christ has risen. You'll get there. You'll get there. A couple more Easter's. We'll get there. Well, I am so glad to see everyone. Certainly there's more people here than there is on a normal Sunday. But I'm glad to see you here. And we're, just so you know, we're open all the other weeks during the year. So we will love to have you. Love to have you. I love seeing you. I, I, my stance is, you know, I like to see people comfortable in church. And, you know, if suits, if you're not comfortable in suits and in fine dresses, you know, don't worry about it. Just come. And that's still my stance, but... Some of you look so beautiful today, I think I'm changing my stance. You guys really pull out all the stops with your beautiful suits and beautiful dresses and pastels are back, baby. So, you know, the church confesses every single Sunday that Jesus is risen. He is a risen Savior. We speak of Christ in the present tense as Christ is because we believe he is alive. Buddha is dead. Haile Selassie is dead. Muhammad is dead. Krishna is dead. The gods of the Roman and Greek pantheon never even existed, so they're dead too. But Christ is risen. Much better, much better. Christ is risen. Do you confess that this morning? Rico Tice in his book, Honest Evangelism, says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about his identity 
his mission, and his call. Three questions we have to ask. Who is Jesus? Let's ask the question of his identity. Why did Jesus come to earth? Ask the question of his mission. And what does he want from us? Ask the question of his call. And I think it's perfectly safe to say that many, if not most of us here today, are very comfortable answering the first two questions. Answering the question of his identity and answering the question of his mission. It's the third question that so many of us struggle with. What does Jesus want from me? We're comfortable because we learned in Sunday school who Jesus was. We learned who he is. We know the, the doctrine of the virgin birth and the crucifixion. We know that the church believes he is risen. We know that he did that. This is what our Sunday school teachers taught us at least, that he did it for us. But what does he want from each and every one of you this morning and forever? The question of his call is the big question. I want to talk this morning about Jesus' identity, his mission, and his call. And I want every one of us to consider this question. Are we willing to lose our lives so that we might have life in Christ? I'm going to answer that question this morning. Look in your Bibles, if you would, with me at Mark 8. 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say you're one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and even be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this to them plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Everyone there needed to hear the truth, even Jesus' disciples. And he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, everything that the world has to offer, and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? The answer to that question is nothing, by the way. 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will be the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I believe in your Holy Spirit. I believe that your word tells us that Jesus is a rock of offense. That men stumble over the idea that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That we cannot stomach the idea that we are ultimately sinful and dependent upon Jesus for salvation. And I believe that what I'm going to preach this morning, God, is offensive because Jesus wasn't politically correct. Because Jesus cared about our eternity and not about our feelings. Because Jesus cared about whether or not we were going to confess him and spend eternity in heaven with God more than our feelings. So I believe in your Holy Spirit, God. And I believe the Holy Spirit will ultimately change hearts this morning. God, where I am offensive, forgive me. Don't allow the message of your word to hinge on me. Let your word be truth. and Let it penetrate hearts. And where I fall short, God, show grace and mercy. Change hearts this morning. Only your Holy Spirit can change hearts this morning, God. Only your Holy Spirit can change hearts. No one in here, no matter how beautifully we speak, can change hearts. Your Holy Spirit changes hearts. I pray that the Holy Spirit would change hearts this morning. In your name I pray, amen. The passage begins with, He went on. So far in the Gospel of Mark, up into chapter 8, Mark has told us amazing events around Jesus. His miraculous baptism. He overcame the devil's temptation in the wilderness. He healed a man with an unclean spirit. He healed many sick persons around Galilee. He had the ability to cleanse leprosy. He healed paralyzed people. He taught on the Sabbath and he did so with authority. He healed a man with a withered hand. He had the ability to stand on a boat and say to the storm, stop, and it would stop. And people saw it. Imagine those tornadoes that you see that have been ravaging the country. Jesus walks out and says, stop, and it stops. And men and women are watching this with their eyeballs and they can't figure this out. What is this? That a man would speak to a storm and it would wrap itself back up into the clouds. Now he's walking on water. He heals the sick at the Gennesaret. He healed a Syrophoenician woman. He healed a deaf man. He fed 4,000 people on a day. And he didn't have Sam Thompson to help. Thank you, Sam. 
And as Jesus was going on with his disciples, he continued to do amazing things, the amazing things that he does, and he simply asked them a question. You've seen all of the things I've done, right? Who are people saying I am? No one can deny that Jesus did amazing things because the world was turned on its head after this man came to earth. No one can deny it. So the men and women say, well, some say, the disciples say to him, well, some say that you're John the Baptist because they've heard him preach. And some say that you're Elijah because they've seen great miraculous powers. And some say you're a prophet because they hear the way you teach and you teach with authority and you're not worried about our feelings. You speak forthcomingly. You speak about the future. Clearly you're someone special. Jesus wants to know, what are people saying about me? Everyone saw how amazing he was. And it didn't take a genius to realize that Jesus was special. He was a great moral teacher, says people today. Many people say this about Jesus. Today we say things like, he was a good person, or he was a philosopher, or he was the champion of the poor and the oppressed. The Pope loves that. The Pope! Well, he tore down walls of social oppression between men and women. Or Jesus has helped me overcome my addiction to drugs and alcohol. Or even he came from a higher power. Some people would say he, he came from a, a higher power. Some people say he was a great religious teacher. Or that he was an enlightened being. Some people say Jesus was a mythical character like King Arthur. So people know about Jesus. Chances are you're going to talk to somebody and no one's going to say to you, who is this person you're speaking about? It's not that people have never heard the name Jesus, at least not here in America. It's not that people don't know the name Jesus, it's that they don't know who he was. And all of these things they say about Jesus, some of them might be true, some of them are definitely, definitely false. But ultimately, what matters about Jesus is only what Jesus said matters about Jesus. So he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter answers correctly. You are the Christ. For many today... This is where salvation ends. I know that Jesus is not merely a great moral teacher. I know that he is God's son. I know that he is Messiah. He is the Savior. When I was a child, I asked him into my heart. I was raised in a Christian home. My family went to church. And I prayed a prayer years ago. So yeah, I'm pretty good I know Jesus, but hold it for just a second. Watch what the next verse says. And he, that is Jesus, charged them, that means a strict command, to tell no one about him. So watch how this works. Jesus says the right answer, or Peter says the right answer about Jesus. You're the Christ. 
And you would think that Jesus would say, now go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. But he doesn't. He says, good, I am telling you, Peter, don't tell anyone what you just said. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus tell Peter, don't tell people I'm Messiah? Look at the verses that immediately follow, 31 through 33. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Notice that Jesus has swapped from Messiah to Son of Man. Now Jesus has assumed something about his disciples' understanding of the Messiah, namely that the Jews of the first century were expecting a conquering king to come and to establish his rule here on earth. Jesus was there, was new, what Jesus was saying, and he knew that their interpretation was largely influenced by Daniel 7, where the prophet prophesies about one like the Son of Man who comes with the clouds of heaven, who comes before the Ancient of Days, a reference to God, who receives from God dominion and glory and even a kingdom, and all people, all nations, all languages will serve him, and his dominion will be an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. That's the Son of Man. That's the Messiah. He comes to earth, and he establishes his kingdom. And so everyone's saying something about Jesus. The crowds are wrong. Peter says something about Jesus, and he's right. But then Jesus begins to teach them that the Son of Man is going to suffer. But that's not what they read in Daniel 7. And it's not what they read in 2 Samuel 7. Where a descendant of King David, who would be to God a son... And who God would establish his kingdom forever. So here you have it. The son of man and the son of David are the same person. And this person, when he comes, is going to establish God's kingdom forever. Every person, every nation will serve the Messiah. And Peter says, the Messiah is here. And Jesus of Nazareth, you're him. You're the Messiah. You're going you're to establish your kingdom here on earth. And those nasty Romans that oppress us are going to be put away. Yes. And then Jesus teaches them that he has to suffer. And that his own people would reject him. And that he would be put on a cross. An instrument for torture of the worst people. And Peter says, this is too much, Jesus. And he takes him away, and he pulls Jesus off to the side, and he says, Jesus, you can't teach such a thing. He begins to correct the teacher. If any of you are a teacher, there's nothing worse than a student correcting you, especially in front of your peers or the rest of the students. And Peter has the audacity to take Jesus aside and to rebuke him. That means correct his theology. 
Could you imagine the cheekiness of this individual that he would pull aside God and tell God the story of the Messiah? The Bible says that Jesus looked over and saw his disciples and he rebuked Peter. And just for a moment, let's have some sympathy for Peter. What Jesus is saying is upsetting. No one wants to hear that what they have believed all of their life was wrong. Especially when that belief is one of fundamental hope concerning your future. When the Messiah comes, thought the Jews, he'll bring an end to this oppression by the Romans. We're going to get our land back. We're going to get a purified temple. And God's reign is going to be on earth once again. They long for what they lost in the wilderness. But Jesus takes this expectation and he turns it on its head. And the Bible says that he spoke plainly to him. In other words, Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. And he said it with certainty so that every ear in earshot could hear. I am telling you, the Messiah is going to suffer and die. And it's going to be the Jewish people, his own people, who do it. And Peter says, no way. How could it be that the one who God sends would be rejected by the greatest leaders of the Jewish faith? How could it be that the one who comes to conquer is himself conquered no kingdom established, no throne, no soldiers, only 12 fishermen who could barely read and write, and a wooden cross of shame. That's what the Messiah taught. Jesus knew the traditions. He knew exactly what he was saying. Now, Jesus could have been, Peter could have been thinking, you know, I, I, I look at this, Jesus, and, and, and Jesus, I just don't want you to say what you're saying. You're going to offend the Jewish leaders, and we're going to lose some, some ground here. Just say what everyone wants to hear. They want to hear that what they believed all their life about you is true. And Peter says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What does Jesus mean by that? What are the things of man that Peter has set his mind on? What is it that makes Peter's words satanic? What does Jesus mean that Peter's mind was not on the things of God? It means that Peter had chosen the teachings of men rather than the teaching of the Lord himself. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and even be killed and after three days rise again. But that wasn't good enough for Peter nor for the rest of the Jews who were hearing it. So Peter wanted to take what he knew about Jesus and conform Jesus in Peter's image. That's what we do. Jesus' identity 
And his mission didn't conform to Peter's understanding of the Messiah. And neither does Jesus' mission and his identity conform to what we want it to be. Especially in a political and cultural climate where telling the truth is anathemized. Be tolerant, we're told. Don't you know that there are men and women of other faiths besides the Christian faith? Don't you know that they heard of other saviors? Don't you know that Jesus offends them? And Jesus knew it and Jesus did it to the people he loved the most. Peter, you're wrong. What you are saying about me is satanic. And if you have your way, if I don't suffer and die, you will suffer and die. Feel the gravity of what Jesus is saying. If I don't die, you do. And here you come in here with your good intentions and your goodwill, and you, Peter, would tell Jesus what to be? No. Jesus will not allow any of us to tell him what he is to be. He tells you what he is to be, and he does so because he loves you. Listen to what I'm saying this morning. Anything that we believe about Jesus that denies in any way either his identity or his mission, as has been clearly taught by him, is satanic. That's what Jesus said, and that's what I'm saying. Watch how subtle this is. Peter uses all the right vocabulary. Jesus, you're the Christ. I'm sure when he passed people in the hall at the synagogue, he'd say, how are you this morning? And Peter would say, I'm blessed. And he did all of the things that Christians do, and he said the right things, but when the rubber hit the road, he didn't believe the truest thing about Jesus. The thing that Jesus taught about himself. And so he knew he was the Christ, but he didn't know what the Christ had to be. You can flatter Jesus. You can historicize Jesus. You can call Jesus the king of the universe. But if you don't accept what Jesus says about himself, Jesus says you are doing the work of Satan. Did Jesus believe in a real devil? He sure did. Because he spent 40 days with him in a wilderness. And if you don't believe in Satan, you hadn't been to a prison recently. Satan is at work in every false teaching about Jesus, in every false belief about Jesus. And Peter's rebuke of Jesus' own teaching concerning his identity and his mission, had it worked, would have annulled the very plan of God and you and I would be in our sins today. The Messiah, the Son of Man... The son of David are all the same person, nailed together on a single cross of suffering for you and for me. 
Right thinking about Jesus means acknowledging that his identity and his mission was that the Christ, the anointed one of God, suffers and dies and is raised in our place and on account of our sin. That's what it means to worship Jesus truly. The disciples must have missed this passage from Isaiah concerning the identity and the mission of the Messiah. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said eight centuries before Jesus ever came. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Upon the Messiah of God was the chastisement every nail stroke every blood vessel laid bare on his back every cross of thorn or crown of thorns on his head every breath he took the messiah of god died for you that's the message god dies so that we don't have to. What a God we serve. Jesus is the Messiah of God and his mission was the cross. Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father, even to death on a cross, so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But this morning, do you receive who Jesus is? His true identity as the suffering servant of God? Do you receive his mission this morning? That he died for you and for me? Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's, God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved do you confess that god has raised jesus from the dead for you this morning amen i do but now we turn to the difficult question what has he called us to do now that Jesus has turned his disciples' expectations about the Messiah on their head, he proceeds to call them to him, even his own disciples. And this is the destination of this morning's message. This is the calling and the challenge for every one of us. Listen to the Lord's teaching. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, all of us who just said amen, you just said you would come after Jesus, right? If any of you would come after Jesus, amen, let him do what? Take up his cross and follow me. Let every one of us deny our false understanding of Jesus and let every one of us correct our satanic contradictions of the words of Jesus. Jesus makes one thing clear. Those who aren't with him, lock, stock, and barrel, are against him. And if you're with him, you take up a cross, because that's what your master did. For whoever would save his life 
will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Christ calls every one of us this morning to come and to die to ourselves so that we might live in Him. That's the message of the Gospel. Come and die. When we baptize people in that baptismal pool, it's under repair. But when we do it, when we put you under that water, we are saying, old man, dead. And there's a piece of glass up there so that every one of you watches and witnesses that that brother who just got dunked in that water is dead. He's dead. That old man, womanizing, drug addiction, porn addiction, mistreatment of his children, mistreatment of his wife, gambling, cursing, sinning, debauchery, dead. And when he comes out, he's raised to walk in a new life. To be a dad after Christ. To be a brother after Christ. To be a church member after Christ. To be a citizen of the United States after Christ. To be a driver in the city of Miami after Christ. That one's hard. We all forget about Jesus when we close that car door, don't we? Well, Jesus, and I'm driving for Jesus, but that jitney driver's of the devil. And I'm going to do God's work as I gesture out the window to him. No. Jesus is Lord of your whole life. He calls you to come and die. Welcome to Northwest this morning. Come and die so that Christ might live in you. What did the Apostle Paul say? For I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer Andrew Summers and my wants and my desires. It is no longer my will be done. It's thy will be done. He says Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, every part of me, my mind, my body, my soul, my wallet, my eyes, my heart, my ears, my brain, every fiber of my being is the life that he lives in the flesh. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus says, I've given myself for you. What more do I got to prove? I went to a cross for you. What more does Jesus owe you? What does he owe you today? What has he not given to you? But his hand stretched out. And as they spit at him, God on a cross, God on a cross. As they hurled insults at him, he forgave them. He can't give you any more than what he's already given you. I ask you, is that not a Savior worth worshiping? Jesus isn't cheap, folks. 
He hasn't called you to come and give you his money. He doesn't want you to come down here and burn sacrifices on an altar. He's already done that for you with his own body. Jesus isn't cheap. He doesn't want your money or your possessions. He wants your soul and your heart. Make no mistake, Jesus isn't cheap. For what does it profit a man, says Jesus, to gain this whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What will you have gained in this life if every single thing you've acquired has cost you your own soul? And this isn't only those who have possessions, who are in danger of losing their souls. The one who denies Jesus' identity and his mission is the one in danger of losing his souls. You think rich people are the only people who have trouble getting to heaven? You think that rich people are the only one who worship money? When's the last time you went to a 7-Eleven on a Saturday night and saw that line of impoverished people standing around the corner with a lottery ticket in their hand? You think their God's not money? Don't just point at the rich. It's us who have idols. Every one of us. What will you gain this morning if you leave here without having received Jesus as Savior? What is the meaning of life and of all the work that you do if you fail to respond to the Lord's call? What's the meaning of it? All the Sundays you've missed to be at the office? All the sins you love? All the chasing after false gods of money and men or women or your own desire? What does it mean if you fail to respond to the Lord's call? That status comes and goes as the Lord sees fit. That desire for sex comes and goes as the Lord sees fit. What do all these things matter, asked Jesus. If you lose control of your car this morning on the turnpike and go right over that rail, those beautiful suits, those white dresses covered in nothing but your lifeless body and blood, then whose shall all this be? You say, that's a bit heavy-handed. I say, Hundreds of people were blown out of an airport last week. Little babies are playing in their living rooms every day and bullets fly through their windows and blow their brains on a wall. Cars crash and you and I, every last one of us, will die. And you just don't know when. And Jesus says, what have you gained? What have you gained if you don't have me? Nothing. Oh, church. Is eternity not more than 50 or 60 years on this earth? Hmm? I'm not a mathematician. I don't study math for a living, but I know this much. 
60 versus eternity is incomparable. We are living this life like it's the only one to live, and the Bible says it's not. If you believe in the identity and mission of Jesus truly, you're going to respond to that call. You can't do any otherwise. If you really believe it, you will respond to the call. Jesus counsels every one of us to buy from him gold refined by fire. He's that gold so that we may be rich, not with money, and have white garments, not that we purchased at Bloomingdale's, so that we may clothe ourselves and shame our nakedness, and it may not be seen. And he says he will salve to anoint our eyes so that we may see. Store up for yourself this morning, this day, treasures in heaven where there is no decay. That alarm that you put on your house at night, the dog that you bought, I'm talking about myself here, to walk in your house, the guns that are in your top drawer, the deadbolts, you put all kinds of locks to make sure that no one gets in your house to steal possessions that are going to be obsolete in six months. What are you doing to guard your salvation? Hmm? But you know what? In eternity, nobody can get in and take it because all that the Father gives to me will come to me. No one can snatch them out of his hand. You're there forever. And if you have Jesus this morning... You have them forever. You believe in the resurrection, you too will be raised. Your body with a new body will be raised. That's what we believe here. If you're visiting this morning and you think we're crazy because we believe in a resurrection, go tell everyone that's what we believe. Make sure you tell them. Say, you will never believe it. I spent Sunday, clap it up. Say to, your, say to your friends, you won't believe it. I spent Sunday with a bunch of crazy people. They think that when they rot in a casket, that someday in the future, literally, some guy, some Jew from heaven is going to come down and raise their bodies. Say it exactly like that, because maybe they'll believe. Because that's what we believe. Your body's going to fail you, but Jesus... Resurrection is a guarantee that you'll have one too. Jesus is calling you this morning to follow him. For those of us here at Northwest Baptist Church, we're, we're so glad that you're here. We are. I can't tell you how glad we are to see visitors. I, I'm glad. You want to talk? I'll stay all day. I'll stay all day. I'm glad. I'll show you. I'll stay all day. I'm glad you're here. We love you. We're telling you the truth this morning. And we're in joy because we believe that Jesus will raise us from the dead one day.
Nothing would delight us more than that you come and join us as we grow together. You've seen the new logo around here. Our tagline is grow together. We're all growing. None of us are complete trees or complete plants. All of us have growth and we'll grow until the day we die. We're inviting you to come and grow together with us. But before you do that, you've got some business to take care of with the Lord. We promise you only what the Savior promises this morning. A call to take up a cross and join us as we follow Jesus together. If this message has spoken to you this morning, I want to invite you to come and to pray to receive Jesus and to pledge to take up your cross and follow him. Pastor Dave and I are going to be down here. And as Richard plays two stanzas, I want everyone to stand quietly. I want every believer to bow their head. And I'm going to tell you what to pray. Every believer, I want you to pray this prayer. I believe in your Holy Spirit, God. I pray that you would bring dead men to life. As Richard Price plays two stanzas, I want to invite anyone who has not received Jesus as Savior to come. And if you don't come now, come after the service. Thank you, Richard. You know, that invitation is not a litmus test. If you didn't come this morning, that doesn't make you a coward. It doesn't. Because it's not by works that you're saved. Many people have walked down in front of churches as packed as this one is this morning. And have not taken up their cross yet. 
That's not what this is about. If you want to talk about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, I'll be right down here. And I'll talk with you till the sun goes down. Lord, thank you for this church. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you were raised for me. Thank you that you give me the ability every single day to take up a cross. I thank you for that because that's from you, God. I praise you for the work you've done in me, and I know every believer in here today praises you for the work that you've done in them. God, I pray that if there be one lost person here this morning, that he or she will not leave without having rectified their relationship with you. I pray that, Jesus, because I know that's your will. Give men courage. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.